All right, welcome to the show. I'm Matt Copenheffer. This is David Hansen. It is snowing in this Arctic tundra mm -hmm. that we call Washington, D.C. Again, the office is actually closed today. There is literally nobody else. Well, not literally. Chris Hill is here. He braved his way in. The host of, uh, of Market Foolery, of Motley Fool Money. Mm -hmm made his way in here. I think we're the only, maybe the only three in the Dedicated office Dedicated to the show. Dedicated to the show, we're here to do it. Uh, now look, last night was the Oscars. 12 Years a Slave gets the nod for best picture. Mm -hmm. This was your pick. I didn't you, even see it yet. Are you serious? Have you seen it? Yeah. Was it life changing? I, it wasn't life changing. It wasn't, I, I wouldn't call it heartwarming, but it was mm -hmm. a very good, it was a very good movie, very well done movie. Do you feel vindicated? after the debacle that was the NFL playoffs. No. If Duke wins the basketball championship, then you'll feel then vindicated. I will. But that's an easy one. I mean, everyone knew 12 Years a Slave was going to win. Did I I front runner. I feel like a lot of people thought that Wolf of Wall Street was going to I didn't win anything, picture. did I? I know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right, first headline, uh, Berkshire Hathaway fourth quarter earnings. This came out at the end of last week in just a little bit. We will touch on Warren Buffett's annual letter to shareholders, of course. But we've got the earnings here. I think, uh, to sum it up, more earnings, yay, mm -hmm. hooray. Uh, did you take away anything else from it? I wasn't too surprised by anything. I mean, where you look at the insurance, looking at the core business there, it was a good year, but it was a good year for basically every insurance company. Mm -hmm. There weren't a lot of catastrophes out there. They continued to underwrite at a profit. It was, what, the 11th straight year of underwriting at a profit, right. so we're kind of used to this. You're jumping Berkshire. ahead to the letter. That was a in little the bit. earnings release. It's, it's kind of in the earnings release. So insurance operation continues to do well. Investment income, very strong. Book value didn't keep up with the S&P on the year, but... You're jumping ahead to the That's to still the quarterly. Again. It was still fourth quarter earnings. Uh, what, did, did you so have I, any quarterly takeaways? I did, I did. Here you go, you ready for this? The <laughs> Including the about Berkshire section mm -hmm. in the quarterly, the news release of the quarterly results. 574 words in total, in total. Concise. Yeah, very concise. Ber Berkshire, Buffett, not about those, those big fluffy. Mm -hmm. JP Morgan, by contrast, in its fourth quarter earnings release, 6,536 words. That doesn't include the supplements. And who says big banks don't disclose anything? Well, no, here, here's, here's the interesting thing is that uh, the, the argument would be, well, of course, J.P. Morgan's is really long. That's a really large and complex business. Mm -hmm. Berkshire Hathaway, larger business, arguably more complex. Right. I, mean, I mean, you don't have, you don't have the same kind of, uh, this exact same kind of exposures, but within the catastrophe reinsurance, the stuff that Ajit Jain is doing, um, the, the fact that it's distributed across so many businesses, Berkshire is a very complex business. 574 word quarterly release. I think what this says to me is, I, I mean, I, I'm biased towards Buffett, I'm biased towards Berkshire, but there's a, a premium on informing shareholders in the right way. Right. And just throwing the kitchen sink at people in terms of talking about things that don't matter in a lot of words doesn't necessarily well, help. Well, Buffett's kind of earned this too. I he mean, has, if another company came out that we're not familiar with and doesn't have the reputation and had 500 words. But it's not like he hasn't been doing it from the beginning, right? True. Well. Yes. Things have changed since the beginning, though. Second headline comes from the Wall Street Journal. The headline is investors, Investor Fires Salvo Against Fannie and Freddie. Who's this mystery investor? I had to look up what a salvo was, by the way. Did you really? I didn't know what that was. <laughs> Nick Timoros is way over my head with his wording. There you go. Um, so Bruce Berkowitz. That's an SAT word. It is. Bruce Berkowitz has sent a letter to the board of directors at Fannie Mae saying, 
stop listening to the Treasury, <laughs> stop sending them dividends, let's do shareholder meetings again, and basically, let's get this back on the big exchange. Mm -hmm. We're not doing this over-the-counter thing anymore. That's what he wants. Right. I don't think this has much chance here. You go to the filings of Fannie Mae, and it basically says, the board of directors cannot do any of these things without written approval mm -hmm. from the FHFA. So maybe this is Bruce just so is playing he, some tactics. I here? mean, is he just throwing? He's just throwing the kitchen sink at the whole thing. I mean, you've got the you've got the um, the letter that mm -hmm. he sent to the government, uh, planning a restructuring, giving right. a plan for a restructuring that to put it back on the private markets. You've got the legal cases that are going on. That's not just Berkowitz. That's a bunch of investors that have gotten together, right. and now you've got this letter to the boards of directors. Is there, is there, what else is up his sleeve at this point? I'm sure he'll think of something, but he is playing the cards that were dealt to him, right? I mean, this is the logical thing to do. He wants to create noise around this. He wants people to be looking at this and saying, hey, this is unfair. The government broke the law that they set mm -hmm. uh, in terms of changing the amendment in 2012. So I guess he's doing the right thing in terms of what he thinks is the right thing, but I don't know if it's gonna make a difference. The thing that I would worry about in terms of following these guys, because the, these are really smart investors. Oh, yeah. uh, you've got Perry Capital in there, you've got Berkowitz and Fairholme in there, you've got Pershing Square and Bill Ackman in there. I mean, these are all really smart guys. But one of the things that worries me just a little bit is these are also investors that did well investing in AIG mm -hmm. when, when that all came around. And I'm wondering if they're putting it in the same bucket and, and kind of thinking, well, th this could be the same thing when it's not really the same situation. This right. is a congressionally chartered company that has a much more explicit government backing than AIG ever did. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know, I, I just worry that in, whether they're thinking explicitly or implicitly, thinking that this is the same situation, it's not gonna work out the same right. way that way. Exactly. Third headline, we're going to Bloomberg. Uh, the headline is TARP funds demolish homes in Detroit to lift prices colon mortgages. I don't know what the colon mortgage is about, but that's classic Bloomberg. classic Bloomberg. Basically TARP funds, there, there's part of the TARP funds were designated the hardest hit funds. And this is millions of dollars that, that some states got. And what uh, Michigan, what Detroit is doing is using millions of dollars from this hardest hit TARP fund to go through and demolish homes. Mm -hmm. And the argument is that these are burnt out ramshackle homes that are bringing down housing prices that are, that are just a blights on right. neighborhoods. And, and, and I get that to some extent, but at the same time, I can't help but wonder, is there a better way to deal with this? There's gotta be a better way to deal well, with it. At least it. they're trying something. I mean, well, you don't wanna maintain the status quo, obviously, with what's happening in sure. Detroit or the housing market there. So at least they're doing something. If, it's, if this doesn't work, then Maybe they try your plan, whatever it is. But it's too late I, at that point. You've already knocked them down. They're not going to knock them all down in one day, but they can try it out, see if it has an impact on certain neighborhoods. I think it's a fine idea. You think it's a fine idea? You're just, you're just trying to be cynical the, this Monday. I'm not trying to be cynical. These are, these are houses. These are existing structures. Have you seen the pictures of the houses? They're not much of a house. I know, I know. But, but you got to figure that, that somebody who doesn't have a house that's, that's been hard hit by this economy, mm -hmm. that's been unemployed, you could potentially say, hey, do you want to go to Detroit and fix up a home and live there for free? Nah. I don't know. No? <laughs> I don't think you're going to get <laughs> you think even, at that that. Point, even at that point, no, 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 no. I think you lost okay. and moved to Detroit. <laughs> I think that was it. The focus for today is, of course, the Berkshire Hathaway annual letter. Mm -hmm. When did you, did, did you, I didn't even realize it had come out. It came uh, out Saturday morning, right? Right. Yeah. I, I didn't even realize it until midway through yesterday. Wow. 
Yeah, I know, I know. I saw it when I woke I up, and things. I was like, I'm surprised Matt hasn't called me 17 times telling me it's out. I was running. I was yeah. out running all weekend. But I, I spent, spent a, a good deal of time pouring through it last night. I would say right off the top, getting right into the good stuff, one of the things that really jumped out at me was uh, Buffett's passage on Bank of America. Mm -hmm. So in the investment section of the letter, as typical, ran down the largest investments uh, in Berkshire, uh, largest stock investments, I should say. Here, here's what they wrote about Bank of America. Berkshire has one major equity position that is not included in the table. We can buy 700 million shares of Bank of America at any time prior to September 2021 for $5 billion. Mm -hmm. At year end, these shares were worth $10.9 billion. We are likely to purchase the shares just before expiration of our option. In the meantime, it is important for you to realize that Bank of America is, in effect, our fifth largest equity investment, and here's my favorite part, and one we value highly. I was really surprised at the glowing terms that he was talking about Bank of America in this investment. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, it was, it was an advantaged investment in terms of when they got into it and the terms that he got for, that, for the preferred investment and the, the options. Yeah. Uh, but to, to, to turn around at this point saying, you know, this is one of the, what is it, one of the five, five largest investments now mm -hmm. at Berkshire and one we value highly. And they've already made five billion on it. Right. Pretty impressive. That's, yeah, that's and he says that it says they, that option expires in 2021. 2021. So a long time before they actually, it actually shows up on that equity portfolio. Um, speaking of the equity portfolio, I thought it was interesting how it's becoming less important, I think, to the overall business. And we've talked so? about that um, with the operating businesses taking more of kind of generating the profits for Berkshire. So you look at kind of overall assets, 485 billion. Mm -hmm. It's a big, big company. Yeah. 117 billion of that is in stock, so it, not not counting the the Bank of America investment. So 117 billion of that uh, is in stock. The big four, so American Express, Wells Fargo, they account for 65 billion of that. Mm -hmm. All right, so working our way down. Then we have Ted and Todd, each manage at least seven billion. He said that in the letter. So there's another 14 Sounds billion. Like a good name for a show. Ted and Todd. Ted, Ted and Todd talk Berkshire. Um, so they manage at least 14 billion. So that leaves 38 billion for Warren to kind of mess around with as it, as it stands today in terms of sure. the stocks. So 38 billion on 485 billion, it's around 8% of assets mm -hmm. for him to kind of make investments here. Obviously he can put more capital to work in the stocks if he wants to, Right. but this is still, it's becoming a pretty small part of the operation, I think. I think you have to look more towards the operating businesses in terms of what kind of returns are those gonna generate to really move the needle. So you're not, I mean, what about, the, what about the companies and stocks that Berkshire already owns? I mean, those are still really important. Right. I mean, the big four, I think he's basically said he's not going to sell, he's said he's not going to sell Coca-Cola so, so, so in terms of, of additional investments? Right. I think you look at the okay. big, I think you look at the top four and say, yes, those are stock investments, but almost treat them as operating business. So you're just talking about the three, the, the, the different buckets of businesses that Berkshire has, and Buffett talks about the insurance businesses, and then there's the capital intensive businesses, which is Burlington Northern, mm -hmm. the energy, that kind of thing. And then there's the manufacturing and retail businesses. And actually, when, when he was talking about those, uh, he made it pretty clear which groups that he, he likes the best. Uh, in the letter he wrote, even so, the difference between intrinsic value and carrying value in the insurance and regulated industry segments is far greater. It is there that the truly big winners reside. Mm -hmm. I, was, I was just kind of surprised. So not so much that, the other stuff? Yeah. So all of those retail businesses, the Justin Boots, mm -hmm. the NetJets, uh, Brooks, Seas. 
he doesn't he doesn't seem to have as much confidence in mm -hmm. those over the long run. I, I mean, I'm not saying he doesn't have confidence in those, but it sounds like he prefers he has a preference for the the earnings capability of the insurance and the the regulated. Business. Just to push back on, he talked a lot about Geico and how. The, the carrying value is a lot lower than the actual intrinsic value of the business. Mm -hmm. It's an amazing company. The moat is can't be can't be crossed by any competitors. And he said the reason was because of the low cost model. Mm -hmm. Which, yes, I, I know they're not they're they're direct insurance business here. Yep. They're online mostly. Uh, yes, that's an advantage today. But my question is, how much of an advantage is that going to be in ten years? It seems like every insurance company is trying to move more online. Whether, it, whether it's Allstate, Progressive, it seems to be a model that people are recognizing, wow, this is an awesome business well, for Progressive. Let's do it. Progressive, I would say, is, is a relatively real threat as mm -hmm. far as that goes. That's a very direct, heavy insurance business. Allstate is really mostly still agent-driven. Right. They, they have the e-surance brand, which they bought, but it's really very much direct. And, but and but how, much of that, how much of it stays that way? I well, mean, I, I, think, I think the question is, is it's the, is it's the low-cost model plus the scale. Right. So Progressive has that too. So, so I think when you, when you think about how much, how much of a moat does Geico have, when you compare it to Progressive, Progressive is a real threat. Mm -hmm. When you compare it to Allstate, maybe, I don't know, maybe they can, because that's a big transformation of mm -hmm. that business. Uh, but when you think about upstarts, insurance isn't exactly a business where you can get scale overnight, that you can get credibility overnight and that right. sort of thing. Geico has credibility, Geico has the scale, and I think that helps a lot. I mean, after all, if it's, if it's the matter of a few dollars here or there, granted, Geico markets itself on yeah. saving a little bit of money, but Geico versus somebody else that you've never heard of, you want to make sure that you're getting auto insurance that when something happens they're actually going to be able no, to No, I'm not saying out. I'm not saying that it has no mode and its business is going to go down the toilet, but in terms of great having the most spectacular mode at Berkshire, I mean you look at the railroad business, I think that has a lot a lot bigger of a moat than than Geico here, which is kind of maybe it's been the leader, but my question is how much can it continue to continue to gain market share? I don't question that it's going to still do good insurance business and mm -hmm. write good policies, but in terms of getting more business and increasing the float at Geico, I don't know, maybe not. I respectfully disagree. Uh, my, my third point in here, I, I, just, I, I, think that it's, I think that it will continue to, to grow market share. Okay. It, it's, there are threats to it. There are real competitors, but um, I always like when Buffett talks about his mistakes. Mm -hmm. makes, him seem, makes him seem real, and I think from the perspective of trying to learn as an investor, it's important to understand that no matter who you are, you're gonna make mistakes and you're gonna get some wrong and sometimes it's gonna be very costly. In this case, this is from the letter, Buffett writes, in addition to our equity holdings, we also invest substantial sums in bonds. Usually we've done well in these, but not always. Mm -hmm. he then goes on to talk about Berkshire's investment in bonds of uh, TXU, uh, now known as Energy, was Energy Futures Holdings. <laughs> Uh, this is a buyout that KKR, TPG, and Goldman Sachs Capital did back in 2007, I want to say 2007, massive buyout. Mm -hmm. And so Berkshire bought some of the bonds that came out of that. Energy Futures Holdings is now sort of- On knock, the verge of bankruptcy. Yeah, knocking at bankruptcy's door. And Berkshire's already sold off the position, but between what they sold it off for and what they collected in interest and, and everything else, they lost about half of their investment, so almost mm -hmm. almost nine hundred million dollars. He's so human. Yeah, he is indeed. That's a pretty hefty loss right mm -hmm. there. Interesting. Any other final takeaways from the letter? I was encouraged. 
I mean, the business looks good. I, I think I talked about the operating business becoming more kind of of the story at Berkshire. Mm -hmm. I think that's a good thing for long-term long Berkshire share, oh, yeah. shareholders here when Buffett's gone. Um, you're still going to need a good allocator at the top. It's not going to be a lot of cash. It's, yes, it's not going to be the same as Buffett, but with that model, I think it's a little bit easier uh, for them to grow book value over time. Okay, let's finish. Oh no, no! Before we get to the Twitter sphere, uh, we do have a, a mailbag to address. Cool. All right, this comes from Scott McLaughlin in Pennsylvania. He says, "I find the business model behind Campus Crest compelling. Most student housing is low quality and overpriced. I see a constant need for student housing, especially on the quality side. Rents always seem to be rising." The obvious red flag is that their income per share is lower than the dividend. It also seems like REITs continually dilute their shareholders over and over. Even though you collect 7%, the share price continues to go down. Stepping back <laughs> and looking at uh, Campus Crest as a whole, we've mentioned on the show a couple times, I said it was on my radar. Then I then we mentioned some things that maybe some red flags to that investors. That came up in earnings. That came up in the earnings call. I did some more research into the management team itself. Found some things that were a little bit concerning uh, in terms of management and their personal life. Disconcerting, you might say. Disconcerting. Um, so I, I'm formally taking it off my radar. Um, it seems to be a compelling opportunity in terms of value and only looking at the numbers here. Mm -hmm. But back in December, we did our New Year's resolutions for investing, and one of mine was to not settle on anything less than great management. So when I look at the management team, okay. I got to stick to my New Year's resolution here. And even though it looks good on paper, I'm kind of taking it off. You don't feel like now. you can trust management at Campus Crest. Right. Um, when you're buying a business for 10 years, you have to buy into the management. If you think about it, you're becoming a part owner with these people. Not exactly something I want to be a part of for the long term. All right. Uh, finishing off in the Twitter sphere, David, what is the first tweet? Our first tweet is from... Dave Kopenheffer, keeping a family affair here, your brother. <laughs> Indeed. He, he tweeted us, he said, U.S. economic confidence at lowest level since December. He said, they realized that was two months ago, right? <laughs> it's, it's incredible. I, I, it makes for a good headline, I guess. But you see this time and time again. Mm -hmm. The stock market falls for the most, uh, the most since mid-January. Right. And it's like, like what? Mid-January? <laughs> time to sell. <laughs> it's March. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, good tweet by Dave. All right, ne next tweet is... I don't have the tweets on here, so you have to I've read them all. Next tweet is about Kickstarter. He says, if you weren't up at 4 a.m., you might have missed that Kickstarter passed $1 billion. We built a page to celebrate, and there's the link there. Kickstarter, a billion dollars Have you, used, have you used Kickstarter? I've been on it. I've never used it, though. Have you? My, yeah, I, I have a cousin who's working on a really cool documentary about uh, open spaces in Vietnam, in, in urban areas of Vietnam. And he funded part of that project through Kickstarter. It was, it was really cool. It, it's, a, it's a neat platform. It's a good way to access funds from, from other people mm -hmm. to, to finance creative and other types of projects. I, it, they just jumped out at me from the perspective that we've talked about the peer-to-peer -peer yep. lending. We've talked a lot about Bitcoin. And it's, you know, I, th I think there are all of these opportunities that, that open up with the digitally connected world mm -hmm. um, that, that are really going to change the way we do things in, in finance and everything else. Um, you know, certain peer-to-peer -peer lending platforms, particular peer-to-peer -peer lending platforms may or may not work out. Bitcoin may or may not work out. But, but I think the, the opportunity and the direction will continue to hold. Yeah, I think we're definitely moving towards that kind of digitization, if, that, if that's Digi a word. Yeah, there you go. Um, in and, city, and kind of city group uses digitization. Exactly. And kind of the social interaction between this stuff. Like you said, there's going to be a lot of bumps in the road, but I think we will be at a better point 10 years from now. But there's going to be a lot of things 
like Mount Gox, and there's probably going to be Kickstarter stuff that blows up in people's faces, or maybe not Kickstarter, but Kickstarter like. Maybe that's what Mount Gox should do: go on Kickstarter, Kickstarter and see if they can, they can raise five hundred million dollars. Uh, I think it's an exciting <laughs> time, so definitely a place to watch there. Next tweet going over to Carl Quintanilla of CNBC. He says, "If you look at the f incredible fortunes, they're still mostly in America." That's from at Randall Lane. Hashtag Forbes billionaires. America. Doing well. Who would have thought? If you turn on the news, you think America's burning. Yeah. You know what's interesting? I, I just finished a book. Uh, I believe the author's name was uh, Joseph, Joseph Jaffe. I, I hope I'm remembering that correctly. But it was the title of the book is The Myth of America's Decline. Mm -hmm. And it essentially talks about that throughout basically the history of the U.S., time and time again, we've had this story of America's just around the right. corner from, from going into the abyss. And it's a convenient story if A, you're a politician trying to get elected, or B, if you're trying to sell somebody something. Because for the politicians, it's not just America's on this, on this inevitable path right. to decline. It's America's declining, but elect me, and I'll and help I'll turn stop it around. It. Yeah. Uh, and for the people selling things, it's America's declining, but if you pay me something, I can help you do this or that to mm -hmm. help, you, help you avoid it. Exactly. Sad, sad state of affairs, but good thing to keep in mind there. Uh, final tweet of the day is from Market Foolery, our, Boom. our parent podcast, sister podcast. It's called a sister. sister. I don't want to put them at a parent level. <laughs> okay. Sister podcast. They say, no episode today, back Tuesday. Today's the day for you to check out at TMF Financial's podcast, Where the Money Is. Darn new right. episode coming this afternoon. This new episode is right now. You're listening to it this, right this now. This is it. So this if is you're it. listening for the first coming. time. He knew it was coming because we were in here. Chris Hill was the only other person mm -hmm. in the office until, until a few minutes ago. And, uh, and we said, yeah. So welcome we're to the new listeners. We are, we're dedicated. We're here braving out the snow. I came you. all the way from Columbia Heights. I came all the way from two minutes away. I know. You've got an easy, easy Very commute. Nice. All right. All right, that's the show for today. I'm Matt Copenheffer. This is David Hansen. Find us on Twitter, at TMF Financials. Find us on Facebook, Motley Fool Financial Services. We will see you tomorrow. People on the show may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. Don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear.